0: Well, good morning. My name is Rick Duncan, and I have the privilege of sharing with you today. And here with me is uh, Eric Kramer. And uh, some of you know Eric, and many of you probably don't know Eric. He's one of us. He's a -er, CBCer who has given up a lucrative, um, stable position in the medical field to go uh, with his wife, Sheena, and their children to be missionaries in kind of a remote part of Mexico, so tell us a little bit about your ministry. Uh, what have you been doing? Uh, how things going down there? Uh, they're they're back for the holidays and they're headed back in January. So how are things going?
1: Yeah, some of us, some of you guys might remember, we left from here uh, in January of this year. Um, my wife and I and our two kids serve about nine hours south of the El Paso border in the uh, Sierra Tarumara, which is a mountain range in Mexico. Um, we work at a pretty remote missions hospital there. Um, and the hospital was put there to uh, serve the needs of the Raramuri or Tarahumara uh, people group. Um, <clears throat> and I do anesthesia. I'm a nurse anesthetist, but I also do the intensive care, um, high-risk OB, trauma, ER, that kind of stuff as well. Um, and, yeah, we just went down. We were back, and then we're leaving again in uh, January, Lord willing.
0: Yeah. So, so I mentioned before you gave up a lot of financial security and personal comfort to go do what you're doing. You're not playing it safe. Why would you do that?
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, that that is a hard question. It's a good one. Um, my my folks uh, were missionaries for years in Central and South America, um, and someone once asked them the same question. A reporter and my dad answered, um, uh, "We live simply so that others can simply live." And that's something my wife and I have been praying for years, even you know before all this started. And along with that, we've been praying. Uh, for God to send us somewhere. We didn't know for years and years where he was sending us, but slowly God started developing the call. Um, and yeah, I mean, it seems like we've given up a lot, and it has been a really difficult year for us. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of hardship, but um, I believe that we would have given up more if we'd stayed here and ignored God's call for us. So um, God, God put this path before us to this race to run, and we're just running it as hard as we can.
0: Wow, that's good. We live simply, so others can simply live. That's that's awesome. All right, so you—I'm sure you have people in the medical profession, people you've worked with previously, maybe even now, um, who think you're crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's, it's hard for my my coworkers to have context of what we're doing. Um, I, the cardiothoracic surgeon, I mentioned. Um, uh, last week told me I was an idiot for for going to Mexico and living there, especially with what's going on. They, but again, they don't understand the context of, of what we're doing.
0: Yeah. Okay, so you're headed back in January. What are the goals that you have uh, in 2015? How, how can we pray for you?
1: Um, well, as far as goals, number one is language acquisition. We're, uh, I'm working on the Taromara Indian language, Raramuri. Um, which uh, only a handful of Westerners know. Um, and my goal there, by the end of the year, is to be able to share uh, the Gospel of Jesus with someone in their own language. And then my wife Sheen, I don't know if she's here or not, she, uh, she's working on Spanish, um, getting that. As far as prayer requests goes, what's real important right now, uh, the hospital had to shut down a couple days ago, um, because there's just been an incredible increase in cartel-related violence in our area, right outside our hospital grounds, actually. Um, missionaries have been hijacked and their cars taken on the route we use to get to Mexico. So um, we're trusting that the Lord will make a way for us. Uh, But right now we're just waiting and the hospital's been shut down completely.
0: Yeah, so the drug cartel is a Mm -hmm. major, major problem. Um, Well, today we're going to be talking about being persecuted for the sake of righteousness. So can you tell us a story about maybe some recent persecution that you've seen there on the mission field in Mexico?
1: Yeah, um, my 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 good friend Beto, which we're going to be possibly supporting us through this church, I believe. Um, uh, he's a Mexican doctor who uh, gave up everything, including a residency to serve the Tarahumara Indians there in the Sierra Madre. He works a little ways away from me in another village. Um, he was trying to gain entrance to this place called Huepo um, to start a clinic as kind of a base, but... Everybody knew that he was there primarily to share the gospel, and so he met a a ton of resistance, especially from a witch doctor named Cesario. Um, A whole lot of horrible things happened. Um, A lot of accusations against him were made. The government got involved. He almost got arrested a couple times. There were death threats against him and his family, and ultimately he was forced out. The clinic never really started, Um, but. Beto has pursued that because it is God's calling for him, and he's kept going back regularly even though he wasn't able to establish a clinic to keep up a a relationship with those people, and doors are finally starting to open there, it looks like.
0: Yeah, so I hope you heard that. When you give money here, it comes to our missions budget, and we help to support the Kramers and what they're doing. And then we're also helping to support this national missionary, yeah, yeah. Beto.
1: Who doesn't have a missions organization. He gets no money at all, no funding.
0: So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so thank you important. for your contributions here because you're making a difference. Well, would you read our scripture for us today and then uh, pray for us that we will be people that also won't play it safe?
1: Sure. So uh, Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, thank you for this group of people. Um, Thank you for their prayers, for uh, the area that we're working in, for... uh, for how they pray for Ukraine, for how they pray for uh, the Pearl Islands, Father. Thank you for their, their passion for the mission field and, and their pursuit, God. I, pray, I thank you for the people here who don't do something as dramatic as we do, but still give themselves up totally and face daily persecution, God, right here in their own communities, Father. Lord, I want to pray also for the people overseas that are in prison in your name right now, Father, people in Iran people in Turkmenistan, people in Egypt, people in China, Father, people that are alone, people that are abused, Father, I pray that you comfort them right now. And in this time, Father, as Rick speaks, God, I pray that your presence be in this room, God, and you open hearts, Lord, that that people hear what you have to say, Father, and that um, people get a glimpse of what you want for them. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Uh, The Kramers, yes. The Kramers are going to be out in the foyer, and they've got uh, a few things to hand, to hand out, you know, pictures, brochures, and that type of thing if you want to find out more about what they're doing. Um, so we are proud and grateful for their service, and uh, it's, it's an honor and privilege to be able to support them. Eric read it, blessed are you. Blessed are those who have been persecuted. For righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's a sobering thought from Jesus. All the other blessings in the beatitude, we kind of go, I want to embrace that. (laughs) This one, not so much. You know, several times in this series, Pastor Chad taught us to look at the flip side of the passage, to kind of turn it upside down or inside out. So let's do that here. Curse it. Are those who are not persecuted for righteousness' sake? Who play it safe, who won't go public with their faith, who won't speak up and be a verbal witness for Christ, who simply want to blend in, who want to be liked by everybody, who won't stand up to injustice and oppression, who are stay in the closet Christians. Cursed are those who are not persecuted for the kingdom of heaven is not theirs. That makes it even more sobering. I mean, listen, unless we face some kind of persecution as followers of Jesus, he says we're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So follow Jesus, suffer persecution. We don't try to be unliked. We aren't out there looking for pain, but the scriptures are clear. Experiencing some level of persecution is normal for a follower of Jesus. You cannot be a genuine follower of Jesus and escape persecution. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. All means all. I mean, think about it. Who lived the most godly life ever? Well, of course, it was Jesus. Yet the world hated Jesus because the world loves darkness more than it loves light. Jesus did not play it safe. They put him to death on a cross. He was persecuted. And he said this, Remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. He's the master. We're the servants. We're not greater than him. If they persecuted me, he says, they will also persecute you. So a lot of people say, well, I want to be like Christ. I want to be Christ-like. You got to understand something. Persecution is part of the deal. And yet we think that a really great Christian is this nice, popular person who never offends anybody and he's always easy to get along with. If these verses are true, then the nice guy that's literally liked by everybody is not really a Christ follower. Because see, a Christ follower doesn't play it safe. We weren't saved so we could avoid hard things. We're not called by Jesus to play it safe. So so as we wrestle with this today, I want us to ask and answer three questions. What's not persecution, what is persecution, and then why should it matter to me? So what's not persecution? Four things, like the trials of life. I mean, what's in the zone here, what we're talking about, it is being persecuted for righteousness' sake, and there's some things outside that that just simply aren't persecution. Trials of life. I mean, we all have normal trials of life that we go through. A flat tire on the way to church is not persecution. You know, I'm on the mission field. My water heater breaks. That's not persecution. So trials of life, not persecution. What's not persecution? Suffering for self-righteousness sake is not persecution. I mean, Jesus doesn't say blessed are those who are suffering because they are offensive, obnoxious, unpleasant, or hateful. I mean, Jesus doesn't say blessed are those who are having a hard time because they're difficult to live with or are foolish and unwise in how they share their faith. See, sometimes we just come across as insensitive, arrogant, holier-than-thou, judgmental, know-it-alls. And no wonder we get negative pushback. I mean, being persecuted for our faith is d- different than being persecuted because we're acting like jerks. So what's not persecution? Suffering for self-righteousness' sake. What's not persecution? Self-inflicted wounds. Wounds. Listen, if you're not doing your job well and you're fired or you're demoted or you're not given a raise, that's not persecution. I mean, if you're suffering because of something foolish that you've done, that's punishment, not persecution. So what's not persecution? Self-inflicted wounds. One more. What's not persecution? Partisan political conflict. Now, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are they that are persecuted because of some cause. And let me hurry to say that some causes, of course, are biblical. We stand up for the unborn, for the poor, for the orphans, and for the oppressed, for people that can't speak for themselves. We fight against injustice, but we got to be careful about how we mix religion and politics. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are you who are persecuted because you're a Fox News fanatic. He doesn't say, blessed are you who are persecuted because you're an NPR groupie. If you claim to be a Christ follower, and you feel like you're constantly being persecuted because people don't like your Facebook posts, then please take a look on how you're communicating. I mean, are you attacking people or are you loving people? I mean, because you might be getting justified pushback, not persecution. See, Jesus is our example, right? He didn't bring down persecution on himself because of his arrogance and his foolishness. He was meek. He was merciful. He was a peacemaker. He was kind. He was gentle. It was his righteous life and his calling for people to live righteously that led to his own experience of persecution, his own death on the cross. See, the kind of persecution Jesus is talking about here is for righteousness' sake. And on account of me, he says. So the kind of persecution that we're talking about here is because of the life we live and the Lord we love. So what is persecution? Well, when we hear the word, we often think of imprisonment. We often think of martyrdom. And that's what many of our brothers and sisters are facing in the world today. And we can't forget that. Hebrews 13 verse 3 says, Remember those who are in prison as though you are in prison with them. And remember those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Don't forget. I mean, some non-Christians actually will do believers harm if they can. More people have died for Christ in the 20th century than in all the other centuries previously combined. And that continues today. And if you want to know more about that, let me give you four resources, two books. Fox's Book of Martyrs, excellent book, just to inform you about how your brothers and sisters in Christ for 2,000 years have suffered for Jesus. And when you read those stories, you just go, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I not willing to stand up more and better? And another one is, is Jesus Freaks that was put out by uh, the uh, Voice of the Martyrs. Two, two organizations I would mention, Voice of the Martyrs. You can go to persecution.com and you can find out all kinds of great information there. You can find out how to write letters to people who are in prison for the cause of Christ. And then Open Doors opendoorsusa.org. Listen, let's be aware, let's pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ, but I don't want us to minimize and I don't want us to miss what we might be facing or might need to face one day. See, if we don't call milder forms of persecution, persecution, then we're not going to handle it the way Jesus tells us to handle it right here. The word in our passage, persecution, it means to be harassed or troubled or mistreated. There's a word here. He says, blessed are you when you are reviled. And that means to be reproached or criticized, blamed, insulted, condemned, or scorned. And then he says, blessed are you when people utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. And so that includes slanders and lies and rumors and scandals. Listen, you you might not be dying in faith like your brothers and sisters overseas. But don't say, therefore... I'm not experiencing persecution. I mean, it might sound humble and noble to be that way, but if you're being verbally abused or insulted or laughed at or mocked at work or at school or at home, it's a form of persecution. And if you minimize that, then it does a disservice to maybe a son or a daughter who might be facing ridicule because of their faith at school. So it's helpful for us to think of persecution in two ways. Types and degrees. There are different types of persecution, different degrees of persecution. Persecution comes in many forms. And yeah, you can read of believers being uh, burned and shot and murdered. But you know what? That's not what we're going to face in Northeast Ohio. But we need to remember, we're in a post-Christian culture that is becoming increasingly more and more hostile to the Christian faith. I mean, you know, tolerance is the buzzword, right? But ridicule and mocking a biblical worldview is the norm in spite of the fact that tolerance is the buzzword. I mean, just about everything and everyone is off limits to criticize or ridicule or speak against in our culture except for Christians. I mean, you seek to apply Biblical values to public policy or you believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved And it's going to be open season on you So it's time for us to prepare ourselves and our children to live in a world that is increasingly hostile to followers of Christ Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 10. Let me just read a few verses He says behold i'm sending you i'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves So be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. Then he says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Then he says, a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me, Jesus says, is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life, try to protect your life, play it safe, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he says, that's who's going to find it. That's who's blessed. That's who will experience great reward. This word persecution, it literally means to pursue. And the idea is you'll be hounded. Your friends and family members may joke about you. Maybe you'll be passed over for a promotion. You might face personal insults, jeering, sneering, laughter, whispers, You might be marginalized. Your words might be twisted. Your actions misrepresented. You might be disinvited to social functions. Teachers might ridicule you. They might even grade you down if you have Christian content. If you get really serious about Jesus, then people will think that you're a fool or a fanatic. Now, has anything like that ever happened to you? You know what? I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I have been praying for us as a church family that we will be convicted by the Spirit of God if we can go day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year and never face persecution of any kind. No persecution, playing it safe. Jesus never called us to play it safe, so why should this matter to me? Let me give you three reasons. Persecution is proof that I belong. It's proof that I belong. See, notice what Jesus says at the very end of this paragraph, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, if you ever find yourself persecuted for Christ and persecuted for righteousness' sake, then you actually have proof that you're one of God's people. I mean, you're like the prophets, God's servants. They're now with God in heaven. And you know what you can say that person that's, uh, that's messing with you? Thank you. Because you're giving me proof that I'm a child of God, that I belong to God's people. Why should this matter? It's proof that I belong. Why should this matter? Well, it gains great reward. See, persecution is proof of where I'm going. Notice what Jesus says in verse 12. He says, your Reward is great in heaven if you're persecuted. When persecution happens to you, it's proof of your eternal destiny. The world is telling you, you don't belong here. You're set apart. You belong to another realm. And that realm is awesome, right? I mean, in heaven, our bodies will be changed and glorified. There'll be no sickness. There'll be no disease. There'll be no sorrow, no sighing. All of our tears will be wiped away. No wars, no unhappiness. Even for a second, we will know only joy, only purity, only wonder. This is what is waiting for us. Don't forget that. And it's why we can say like Paul, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's better by far. So you know what? You want to belittle me? You want to torture me? You want to mock me? You want to kill me? This world's not my home. Pain, death, not the ultimate threat. I got a home in heaven, and I got a reward, a great reward, Jesus says, waiting for me. So you stand with Jesus, and you stand for Jesus in this life, you're going to be home in heaven with him for all Eternity. You will receive a great reward. Jesus isn't messing around here. Blessed are you. A great reward is coming. Why should this matter? Well, it's proof that I belong. It gains great reward. And I love this one the most. It shows off the worth of Christ. When you're persecuted, and you can rejoice, and sing a song... It shows off the worth of Christ. See, Jesus says this, Blessed are you when others revile you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. The persecution has got to be connected to the person, Jesus. When we suffer persecution on account of Christ, it proves that we see Jesus as someone supremely valuable. He is so worthy. He is so amazing. He is so treasured that we are no longer preoccupied with self and with our safety and with our security. It's like I'm abandoning everything to follow Christ. What Jesus has done for me on the cross and through his resurrection to forgive me for my sins, to give me a home in heaven, to show me how much he loves me, that is worth more than personal peace. It's worth more than comfort. It's worth more than affluence. It's worth more than anything. So when we are willing to suffer on account of Christ, some of the people around us are going to take note. And they may wonder What is so great about Jesus that makes him or makes her willing to suffer? And it's what the doctors are looking at with the Kramers. Why would they give up comfort and affluence to go to a hard place? Answer, Jesus is worth it all. Maybe you've heard the statement, uh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I mean, what grew the church in the early days? It was that people would be willing to sacrifice their very lives for Christ. Paul sacrificed his life for Christ. Peter sacrificed his life for Christ. James sacrificed his life for Christ. They died for Jesus. And people took note Jesus must be awesome if he's worth dying for. Tertullian is a man who lived in the early days of the church, and he said it this way, go on, rack, torture, grind us to powder. Our numbers increase in proportion as you mow us down. The blood of Christians is our harvest seed. People just need to see that Jesus is our greatest treasure. And you know what? Some of us, we just want to blend in because Jesus is not our greatest treasure. He's not more important to us than anything else. That's why we're lukewarm and we're complacent. And we need to take a hard look. People will be drawn to him as we lift him up. Persecution, it's proof that we belong. It gains great reward and it shows off the worth of Christ. No wonder Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Listen, that's part of what it means to live the good life. Your best life now includes persecution. And think about it. If you've been shaped by the seven Beatitudes that we've talked about previously, you're going to be fundamentally different. You're going to be righteous. You're going to be salt. You're going to be light. And the world won't like it. The world won't like it. But if Jesus is your example, if Jesus is your forgiver, if Jesus is your Lord, if Jesus is your treasure, then you know what, you can rejoice in the face of persecution because you will be very much like Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Persecution is coming, I'm joyful, Jesus says, as he faces the cross. Blessed are you, great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice and be glad because you are sharing in the sufferings and you're sharing in the joys of Jesus. You know, as a nation, we are facing yet another difficult racial divide as a result of the tragic events in Ferguson, Missouri. One of the best responses I've read comes from an African-American. His name's Benjamin Watson. He's an NFL player. He played for Browns just a few years ago. And in his essay, he talks about his emotions. I'm angry, frustrated, fearful, embarrassed, and so on. And then he writes, last paragraph, ultimately, the problem is not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. Sin is the reason we rebel against authority. Sin is the reason we abuse our authority. Sin is the reason we are racist, prejudiced, and lie to cover for our own. Sin is the reason we riot, loot, and burn. But I'm encouraged because God has provided a solution for sin through his son, Jesus, and with it, a transformed heart and mind, one that's capable of looking past the outward and seeing what's truly important in every human being. The cure for the Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, and Eric Garner tragedies is not education or exposure. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. Now, I got to tell you, not every, you like it, but not everybody likes that. Someone sarcastically wrote, oh, thankfully, Jesus will save me. For a second, I thought I might have to take actual responsibility. Another responded, for Watson to invoke Jesus in his comments was disgraceful. Jesus did not have nor could have had anything to do with what happened. And yet another wrote, I hate this foolishness. The gospel helps no one. Now, what's that? This is a mild form of persecution. But Watson, he's not playing his safe. I mean, hey, this was a great essay. All of his feelings and emotions, really great. Really great insights. And he could have left that last paragraph off about Jesus. And everybody would have thought it was awesome. But he's not ashamed of Jesus. He's going public with the idea that the main problem is not a skin problem. It's a sin problem and that Jesus is the solution. And because he said that, he's getting some thumbs down. He's standing up for Christ, willing to be insulted, and have all people say all kinds of things against him falsely. Now, how about you? By the way, if you want to get this little essay, you can pick it up at our information tables. It's really good. Listen, don't ever be ashamed of Jesus. Let them laugh. Hoist your flag. Show your colors. Live for Christ. It's our calling to share Jesus with people who won't necessarily agree with us. Why? Because some of them will eventually come to faith. And what we do is we just try to state the case for Christ lovingly, carefully, gently, reverently, respectfully. And you can even say, hey, I'm not here to change you, right? Because we can't change anybody, but we know somebody who can. Only God's big enough to change a heart. I mean, if you want to be a person who never takes a stand, if you want to be a person who never invites people to new life in Christ, then people will think you're just fine. So go ahead, compromise with the world and blend in with the crowd, and you'll escape persecution, but you'll also miss heaven. Here's the truth to take home Jesus never called me to play it safe. He never called me to play it safe. Can you say that with me? Jesus never called me to play it safe, He didn't. In 1966, at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp at Black Mountain, North Carolina, several attenders were inspired to write a manifesto called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. It was distributed widely. And then in 1980, an African missionary was forced by his tribe to renounce Christ or face death. And he refused to deny Jesus, and he was martyred. And a copy of this declaration, The Fellowship of the Unashamed, was found in his room after his death. Let me just read part of it to you. He says, I'm part of the fellowship the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Christ, and I won't look back, let up, or back off. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I no longer need preeminence, power, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or recognized or praised or rewarded. I live by faith. I lean on Christ. I love with passion. I live by prayer, and I labor by Holy Spirit power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven. My road may be narrow, my way rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away or turned back. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy or ponder at the pool of popularity. I won't give up, shut up or let up until I have prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until I'll know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he will have no problems recognizing me. My colors will be clear, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Wow. Jesus never called us to play it safe. He didn't call me to be a nice guy. He didn't call you to be just a nice girl. He has called us on his mission to change the world. And that means that we have to be intentionally and verbally and sacrificially those folks who invite people to new life in Christ. Listen, what would your family be like? or your workplace be like, or Northeast Ohio be like, if the people in your circle of influence were actually poor in spirit, if they mourned over their sin, if they hungered and thirsted for righteousness, if they were merciful and pure in heart and were peacemakers, what would your family be like? What would the world be like? But listen, business can't transform a person like that. And government can't change a person's character. Education cannot turn a selfish person into a a generous person. The only way people will be made new this way is if they have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, the one who will forgive them and then transform them from the inside out. You have the news that can change somebody. This is why we have to invite people to new life in Christ. We got to come out of the closet. We got to be bold. We got to look for opportunities. We got to speak up for Jesus. You know, Pastor Chad has challenged us to have 24,000 conversations in 2015 with people in our circle of influence who need Christ. And I got to say something. If we do that, we will be inviting ridicule and sarcasm and gossip and mockery onto ourselves. And we will become outcasts to some people. Some people will begin to call us narrow-minded and intolerant. But you know what? I hope that happens. It's going to be okay. We can rejoice. Some will respond. Some won't. But we're going to stay motivated. We're going to intentionally, verbally, and sacrificially invite people to new life in Christ. Why would we take the risk? Why are we going to play it safe? Well, we are going to take the risk. And we're not going to play it safe because, bless it! are those who have been persecuted for righteousness sake on account of Christ. Rejoice and be glad. Great reward is coming for yours will be the kingdom of heaven. Why are you here today? Why would God bring you here today? He doesn't want you to leave the same. Some of you, you're here and you're going, I don't know this Christ that you're talking about. He's not my treasurer. <laughs> but you know what? I'm intrigued, and I think I want him. You know, there's a prayer on the screen here. Father in heaven, for too long, I've been living mainly for myself. I've not treasured Jesus and his kingdom more than my comfort, safety, and security. But I believe Jesus died on the cross so my sins could be forgiven. I believe he rose from the dead. So today, I repent of my self-centered living, and I make Jesus the Lord of my life, change me. Give me the courage like Jesus to live and then die for your glory so that my reward in heaven will be great. Some of you, that's your prayer today. That's your prayer. You need to pray that prayer and give your heart to Christ. And then, what we're asking you to do, check a box in your program. I gave my heart to Christ. You say, well, that's not that bold, right? It's a little bold. Just check the box. Because he says, hey, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed before the Father in heaven. But if you will confess me, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. That's a, that's a little way to confess. Bam. Check the box. Put it in the basket. Because we want to help you grow. Some of you, you've been acting in rude, insensitive, and arrogant ways, and you've been claiming that it's persecution. You need to be asking Jesus to make you more meek and more pers- merciful in the way you stand up for righteousness. And finally, some of you have been playing it safe. You've not gone public. You've not been verbal about Jesus. I hope hundreds of you will check that third box. I've been lukewarm and worldly. And I'm asking God for more boldness to be a faithful witness for Christ. Father, I thank you for the Kramer's examples to us and the Tuckerman's examples to us of people who aren't playing it safe. May their examples and the example most of all of Jesus himself Lead us all to be more bold for you. So, Lord, we're not going to go looking for persecution, but when it comes, we will rejoice and be glad because a great reward is headed our way. Make it so for this church, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.